0: Welcome to Jammin' with Jason Mefford, a show where we discuss topics relevant to chief audit executives and professionals in audit, risk, and compliance. We discuss the technical and soft skills needed to navigate the minefields of organizations. You hear best practices and practical advice for helping you advance your career, and we'll even talk about music, mindfulness, and psychology, because we can! So sit back and relax while you listen to the number one podcast in the world for internal auditors, unscripted and unedited. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Jamming with Jason. Hey, today I am honored to be with Julio Tirado or Toronto, if you want to say it that way too, right? Well done. Well done, all right, (laughs) woo! So, uh, you know, and I have to say too, because my mind just works a little funny, right? So again, when I knew that we were getting on the call today, um, because I like to bring music in a little bit too, you know, so of, of course, when I, when I saw, you know, your name on my calendar too, you know, it's like, I go to that Paul Simon song, me and Julio down by the school yard. Uh So I had to listen to that this morning too. And then it's like, well, yeah. oh, you know, those two kids really got in trouble. They got thrown in jail. We're not going to do anything like that today, <laughs> but, uh, but I'm glad, I'm glad to have you uh, with me today. So uh, Julio is the, he's the chief audit executive of Spirit Bank. Uh, which is, I, th- I think you guys are pretty much regional there, right? You're in the Oklahoma area?
1: We are. Yeah, we're, we're based out of Oklahoma, uh, just shy of 700 million in assets and five branches and uh, entirely Oklahoma-based. That's pretty good though, 700 million for five branches.
0: That's pretty yeah. good. Yeah, it's pretty good. pretty good size. <laughs> pretty good size. Well, and you guys will keep growing and of course then you're going right. to start bumping up on those other limits that then create a whole bunch of compliance issues for you but you'll worry about that when you get to that point right (laughs) um but yeah thanks thanks for joining me um you know on here because i I wanted to you know maybe just give give people at first because i know we we talked before we started recording about a couple of points that we'd like to kind of bring up because i i think that are important but just first maybe kind of give people a little sense of you know, what your career entailed, how you've gotten to this point of being a chief audit executive? Because I always think it's interesting for people to see the various pathways that people become a chief audit executive.
1: Yeah, I'd be happy to. So the the internal audit journey for me started in April of 2007. Uh, the bank hired me as an internal auditor. And actually, it almost didn't happen. Kind of a quick story uh, in late... Late 06, early 07, I was looking for a job. I was looking for a job in the investment world and couldn't find anything in Oklahoma City, which is the world mm-hmm. where I lived at the time. And in early, early 07, I decided to broaden the criteria and see what else is out there and came across this job called internal auditor. And it had a good salary range. And I said, hey, I got a degree. I got a finance degree. I, met, I fit the box and I applied. To my surprise, I got a call mm-hmm. and I set up the interview. And the moment I hung up the call, I said to myself, What the heck did I just do? I <laughs> had no idea what I mean. It was one of several that I applied to. So I did what any student would do. I did a little more homework and I bought a book. I think it was at Barnes and Noble's. Uh, it was called uh, Something to the Effect of the Handbook of Internal Auditing. Mm-hmm. And an hour into the book, I dropped, and I almost called the recruiter to cancel the interview. <laughs> You're like, I don't want to get into this at all, right? I thought to myself, COSO, this, corporate governance, that, had, I was clueless, uh, but I kept the interview, and you know, I'm not afraid of the unfamiliar. So it, it, in hindsight, it was one of the best decisions I've ever made, I learned so much. Uh, so I worked for Spirit Bank for six years, and then I decided to take a leap into uh, startup number two. I had done a startup before before Spirit. And I started a consulting company under my own name, George H. Wright and Associates. Did that for slightly over two years. It was went very well. Had several clients. I was about to transition into the, the famine phase, that feast and famine relationship. And mm-hmm. my wife had some, uh, developed some medical issues. She had to quit working. And, and long story short, it made more sense for me to go back to being an employee. So at the time, I had the chance to go work at a technology company as a project manager role. And six months into it, the CEO of Spirit Bank called me and said, Julio, come back to the bank. And uh, they made me the, the, ERM risk o- the ERM officer and the uh, information security officer. And I did that for about a year, uh, at which point I was asked to go back to audit where they needed me more. And I've been doing that uh, ever since. And you know, that, that year in security and risk really informed my thinking. It helped me mm-hmm. appreciate the, the importance of, of the security side of the house uh, I know that one year I dove as deep as I could. I mean, as you know, as an as a ex-finance major, yep. I had to get caught up really quickly. And, and that I did to the best of my ability. So that informed me as a CAE, as an internal auditor, significantly. So I view security f- from a slightly different perspective because of that year. But I've been in, in, so in, uh, in that role since uh, 2016 and just working hard every day to upskill, get caught up, and and continue to tackle mm-hmm. what's problem.
0: Well, I think it's great, you know, because your your experience is is very similar to many other people, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I I remember when I first, uh, you know, because I got the accounting degree, I got the CPA, I went to work at a couple of of account big accounting firms, um, yeah. you know, left because one of my clients hired me to start an internal audit department as a chief audit executive. You know, hey, we need this, come in, build it out. And I remember, you know, going to like my first IIA conference and I think Bill Bishop was still the the president back then. And, you know, he's like, I'm proud to be an internal auditor, you know, and all this (laughs) kind of stuff. I mean, Bill was just, just kind of that way. And, and in, you know, I grew up in the external side, but, but most of us, you know, end up in internal audit. I mean, there's, there's very few people in internal audit that probably is a little kid. We're saying I'm going to be an internal auditor when I grow up, <laughs> right? There, there, there's more of those people now, right? But but you know, in in the day, we all just kind of fell into it. You know, like you said, you got you got your finance degree, you were looking for a job. This thing internal audit, and you get the job, yeah. right? And then obviously you must have liked it if you hung around for six years <laughs> to begin with, right? Yeah. So, so you kind of fell into it, but then you, then, you know, like you said, you ended up kind of going off to do some other things, Right. some independent consulting to begin with, go back to a tech company, but mm-hmm. not as an internal auditor, but more in the PMO. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was not a role. Right. <clears throat> right. And in that
1: then, situation, I was working with the audit team. That was very interesting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so I think it's, it's, it's interesting cause I, I want to delve in a little bit to, to a couple of these other, um, Experiences that you've had, sure. because, like you said, you know, you look at security and IT a little bit different than maybe some other some auditors do, because you've actually had that job, right. and and so the the more perspective and the differences that we have, it it really helps us as, as we actually talked about before we hit record about having empathy for other people.
1: That's the and that
0: actually makes us better auditors. So I I I'm, I'm I'm interested, you know, too when you when you went back to that tech company in a project management role. Yeah. Again, that was totally new for you, right? I mean, was that something again where you were like, "Hey, I should, you know, I need to improve my project management skills, so I'm going to go find a job in project management," or did it kind <laughs> of just fall into you? How did that work?
1: Well, I I was uh, I was very open-minded about what jobs I was looking for, uh, because I had to time everything properly and, and it just so happened that role w- was, a uh, was heavier toward IT governance, but it was an IT governance slash project management role. So my okay. background was a really good fit. Yep. Uh, but I, I went in there excited about trying something new and I was planning to go for that PMP certification, soak in it as much as I could PM wise. Um, and, and, and I only did it for a little while, but that little while was very insightful. I learned so much about the technology departments working together from from an ITGC perspective. You know, here I'm viewing ITGCs from the other side, not the auditor side. So that was very eye-opening.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and now, you know, those are areas that you're auditing, you know, wow. effectively. And so, again, you've seen yeah. it from both sides. So, so I think that's interesting because, you know, I think a lot of times people, you know, they kind of wonder and, you know, if you're the chief audit executive, you've got to kind of come up with a team. Yeah you know in in my opinion if you've got a team of probably 5 or more it's probably a good idea to have some people in your team that actually have some of these project management skills maybe hire somebody who's a PMP mm-hmm. because what do we do every day we're doing projects <laughs> right so actually understanding project management how it works how that translates in into the into your organization because a lot of times we're auditing things that are projects. Um, I think is actually a really good idea. So it's interesting that you actually have that background. Um, how, how how do you think that's helped you in, you know now in your career going forward?
1: Well, as as a part of that experience, I got to learn, for example, about agile. agile. Yep. project management, which as you know, is becoming a thing now in the audit and assurance space. Mm-hmm. So I, I love to see us think that way, because you're right, if you, if you step back and look at the big picture, what is an internal audit operation, it's a collection of a bunch of projects that have to be managed. So it makes sense. Uh, if we take a project management methodology, we are going to be more organized, hypothetically more efficient, therefore mm-hmm. less stressed. So it's it, it very logical to think like a project manager in the audit, whenever we're thinking about what to do, what to evaluate, which managers to organize with. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was synergistic. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, as I mentioned, now that you know agile is a thing, people are always talking about it. Every third article has agile audit this, agile audit that. <laughs> <is>. <laughs> it's blending in the profession.
0: <laughs> well, and it's interesting. I don't, I don't know if, if you get the same sense that I do, but a lot of people are talking about agile, but a lot of people don't really get
1: it it'll
0: take a while it'll it'll take a while and because because again it's it's not just about doing audits faster or having stand-up meetings during during the thing this is like a fundamental change to how we have historically audited the kind of documentation that we've done you know if we're going to fully embrace an agile methodology it's pretty foundational folks (laughs) in some of the changes that we're going to have to do uh, to really get to that point. But, but it's, you know, like you said, and, and, um, it's a concept I I think that's here to stay. It makes a lot of sense. We should, we should incorporate more of it because, you know, honestly, if your company is using an agile methodology for its projects, wouldn't it make a lot of sense for us to do it more that way too. So it's something Mm -hmm. that they're used to as well. Plus it gets more feedback from the customer quicker. They're more involved in the process. Um, which I think is important as well. But that's going to have to, a lot of auditors are going to have to get used to that fact and realize we can get that kind of feedback from customers and it's okay and they can be more involved in the process and it's okay.
1: Well, so, one your point earlier about, about empathy. <clears throat> you know, this this forces, if we're a small uh, tech startup and we, we, we're using Agile to develop and do what we do, the, the user is going to be at the center of, of the process. Yep. So... Likewise, if we're treating, if we're putting the department heads, the clients, the companies, as the, as the user in the center of the process, hypothetically, it wouldn't lead to better relationships, hypothetically would lead to better communication a much less less stressing, stressful exit meeting, better audit community meeting. So putting people in the center may be one of those uh, those you know, byproducts of going agile.
0: Well, it probably is, and that's actually gonna, <clears throat> that adds more value. Right. And, and again, when we would deliver a report or whatever our results are, it's going to be much more tailored to that particular user if we're actually considering and thinking about them at the center of the relationship. Yeah. That's right. Cool As opposed to, Hey, we're this external group coming in and we're doing all this stuff. And then we're going to flop this report over to you and you've got 30 recommendations you have to go implement and half of them you're thinking, why are you even asking me to do this? Right. Um, so yeah, that's a that's, yeah, good experience. And so again, like I said, you know, having some of those skill sets or having people on your team that understand that I think makes makes a stronger team overall, right?
1: Nothing but value add. If you have that opportunity, certainly certainly do it. And I would say that there are so many resources. When I when I think about what was available in two thousand and seven when I started versus now. If in 2007, you told me, hey, Julio, you should learn some project management for XYZ reasons. Well, then I might have been a little more uncertain. What do, where do I go to? What book do I buy? Now, these, these programs that you can leverage from a variety of resources, they're literally a button press away to learn about yep. anything you can want. In this case, particularly agile. So you may not have somebody in your team who is a project manager or was a project manager, but they can gain these skills and implement them in audit as best as makes sense.
0: Well, it's interesting that you bring up 2007 as well, right? Because that was a, I've heard a lot of people talk about this and especially from a, from an IT perspective. And then we're going to jump into kind of talking a little bit more about some of the tech and risk stuff, you know, uh, here soon. But 2007 was really kind of a seismic shift in the IT world. It, it, well, it was tough year for banking because it was right, you know, right at the time of the financial collapse. Mm-hmm. But from a technology perspective, 2007 was there were some big seismic shifts. You know, the smartphone, the the internet had been around, but really, kind of the 2.0 side of it started really kind of coming in, and so, you know, the world that we see ourselves in now in 2020 is largely shaped by a few of the events that happened in 2007 2008 so it's it's kind of interesting again that you bring that back because yeah if, it, if we were talking in 2004 a lot yeah. of this stuff wouldn't be as relevant because it hadn't happened
1: yet and we and
0: we don't have some of that stuff
1: right it's an interesting point I mean a lot has changed and it seems like things are changing at a faster rate
0: they are in fact some of the other um, stuff that I've read I'm trying to, I was trying to remember the, the name of the book and it's going to escape me right now um, the, 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 the speed of change in IT is quicker than as humans we can comprehend and consider mm. the implications of it. So that's that's why a lot of people now are like, whoa put the brakes on all this AI stuff because, we really can't figure out yet or process how this is really going to impact us.
1: Yeah, that's a a big challenge, absolutely.
0: You've seen the same thing with with, um, compliance issues, other stuff, because we'll jump into information security because we have kind of a a, a commonality there as well, right? Right. We were both (laughs) kind of head of information security. And, and privacy and security is one of those things where the regulations can't keep up with the technology because we don't understand the implications of some of the technology until a few years later. And by that time, we're mm-hmm. trying to regulate something that was three or four years old, but there's something new that's completely different, right? So, so yeah, so you go from kind of this PMO role in back to the bank in ERM and it, it's kind of the CISO. So, um, you know, what, what kind of stuff, I guess, did you learn from that, uh, experience? Cause I think you were, what were you, you were in that role for a year or so before right. you moved yeah, the back over kind of to year. audit, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so what kind of stuff did you learn, you know, during that phase yeah. of your career that's kind of translated
1: over? I would say that the, the, the number one thing that I got out of that experience was a greater, sense of empathy, and not to be redundant here, a great appreciation for the, the consequences of an audit recommendation mm. um, with all the folks across the bank uh, on, on the security side. I felt the impact of the recommendations on the ERM side. I, I had a, a more transparent discussion with managers all across the bank because the ERM component required me I meet with everybody and talk about risk issues in a very proactive way, you know, in a very team oriented way. Because in that mo- those moments, I wasn't the auditor asking for things. I was the guy saying, hey, I, I'm thinking risk, you're thinking risk. Let's work together. What can go wrong? Let's make sense of the world a little bit. Um, that gave me an appreciation for, for, for being on the other side of the discussion and being more sensitive to the impact. you know, In the very beginning, like anybody who's brand new to internal audit, we are probably more focused on being good at what we do, understanding the issues, probably not thinking a whole lot about what will be the consequences of this recommendation in terms of resources and time and so on. So that made me more flexible, more flexible in, in the, the uh, recommendation, more flexible in the follow-up process, for example, uh, from from a very risk based perspective, somebody may I may have an audit recommendation now that may pertain to a policy or a, proceed, a written document, and I would be more than happy to wait four months for that to be done, as opposed to a higher risk issue which is you know, is prompts re- action within a week, within two two weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a risk based approach to audit follow up came out of the the exposure to the uh, risk and security side, um, and on on the security side. Uh, you know, I I remember what I had learned pertaining to security before that role. It was very, uh, very uh, shallow. Mm -hmm. I just didn't understand enough all the moving parts. And the way that I like to think about it now is with security. I I mean, imagine, imagine Jason, you're taking care of a a mansion of 65,000 doors and windows. (laughs) Your job is to control every door, every window, keep track of everybody who has a key. When the key gets lost, you got to reissue it, maintain the roof and so on 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 That is your job as the maintenance, as a person who owns that mansion. You're the CIO, you're the IT director. So you got all these different places that where attackers can attack, whereas the attacker just needs one window, one door. Um, So I gain a whole lot more appreciation for how difficult that challenge is. Absolutely influence how I perform a security audit, what I ask, what is reasonable, what isn't reasonable, what's effective, what isn't effective. It forced me to learn about certain control frameworks, like the CIA's top 20 security controls framework, the NIST type of security uh, framework. And and so since that exposure, I've been continually putting pressure to up my knowledge of the security side, because as you know, the attackers are getting more advanced, the attacks themselves are getting more advanced it's a cat and mouse game. So who, who's, you know, how behind are we going to be? Yeah. So,
0: well, and your analogy of that big mansion is, is great to try to put it into perspective, right? Not only do you have all those doors and windows and everything on the outside, but you got people on the inside of the mansion, right? Exactly. And, and how many of the security issues have, have come. Cause you know, again, the CIO, the CISO, they're worried about, you know, usually first off external kind of stuff, right? Because that's mm-hmm. again, where it's like, we don't want, you know uh, anonymous to right. you know well that's write, what's in the news get us right Weird. so that's so, so that's that's yeah. where there's a lot of the abuse but there's a lot of stuff coming inside too right it is like i don't even have to attack you on the outside i'm just going to have you know a mole hired in your organization in your IT department and i'm going to let him sit there dormant for a year whatever right till i figure out what's going on and then i'm going to do an attack from inside and most of the time people don't even realize or maybe they get through the window. Now they're inside, they close the window, nobody really <laughs> knows they were there, but they're inside the house for a yeah. year and a half, and then they pull the trigger on, on the security issue. I, I and like again, that hap- that happens like all the time.
1: Imagine this, this, this intruder now has an invisibility cloak for about nine months going throughout your mansion.
0: Uh-huh, <laughs> and you don't even know they're there. You I mean, it's a 35,000 square foot mansion, right? <laughs> There's
1: lots of drapes they can hide behind or whatever.
0: Well, don't it just, even know it they're there.
1: Emphasizes. Uh, it, it, I mean, I know that's that's a, a, a silly analogy sometimes, but it, it just highlights how difficult the challenge this is for a lot of organizations. So, so we have to we have to step on our game.
0: Well, and I think too that's that's where again some of this empathy comes back is because you know we'll go in, we have maybe a very narrow scope on what our audit might be, and we come back and say, well, you know. NIST says you're supposed to have a, a, a cybersecurity policy and you don't have one. So our recommendation is go write a policy and you hand that, you know, to the CIO or the CISO and they look at it and say, well, I'll get to your policy. But first off, I've got all these guys outside that look really <laughs> suspicious and I got to worry about them first before I worry about your piece sure. of paper.
1: Right? No, that's spot on. It's absolutely.
0: <clears throat> and, and so we just have to be under understanding of that or, what you said, the consequence of our audit recommendations, because I think, I think sometimes we'll lob a recommendation over without realizing how much time and money it's actually going to take. And without, this is what I'm trying to push people to do now too is, you know, before you make a recommendation, why don't you kind of do a little ROI thing for people so that they can understand? Because, if I'm the manager, if I'm the CEO of a company and you come to me and ask me to do something that's going to cost me a hundred thousand dollars, let's say, I'm going to look at that and say, what do I get for my hundred thousand dollars? And and even though you tell me, well, it's best practice or it's compliance, we have to do it. Well, if I don't do this, what's it going to cost me? Well, you're going to get in trouble. How much am I going to get in trouble for? Well, you might get fined $20,000. Well, you know what? I'm not going to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm. At that point, I'm going to say, okay, well, that's nice, but I'm not going to spend a hundred thousand dollars to avoid twenty. I'm just going yeah, to.
1: It's very irrational, absolutely. And and that that uh, discussion, you know, being being in that situation will hurt your relationship with the manager. Oh yeah. So it's I mean, we need to avoid those.
0: Yeah, and so we can we can start to think more about what really are the consequences. Now, if it's you know if it's compliance based. I get it, right? We have to say, you know, regulation one, two, three, four, five says we have to do it. We're not doing it. We should probably do it, right? And then it's management's decision at that point. But companies decide all the time not to be compliant with certain things. But the one where, too, you know, that we should really be conscious of these consequences are the ones that we think the company should do or it's best practice. So we should do it. Those you better really have thought through because. Um, if you come up with a BS you know, recommendation that just costs money without much benefit, that's going to significantly damage your
1: relationship. Right. Well, I think as a rule, you just want to generally be informed. Whatever you put on a piece of paper, whatever you convey to a manager, you have to be informed what data supports your conclusion. Yeah. Uh, I, I, one of the things that I make sure I do during an engagement is uh, commit to all the managers that if, they, if there's any... High risk, medium risk issue, even just remotely, I immediately call, and say, Hey, whomever, what do you think about this? Am I heading in the right direction? This is a real concern. By the time we get to the end of an engagement, there will be no surprises, no 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 uncertainty about whether in a recommendation you're making it makes sense. You should flush that out throughout the engagement. It's it's sort of kind of very agile. You know, in mm-hmm. between, you are talking to your manager multiple times, but if you're, if you're in a position where you're you're hoping that you, your recommendation is going to make sense. You you know, that tells you you haven't done your homework. You have to. to
0: (laughs) If you're hoping it probably doesn't, (laughs) you better do your homework (laughs) and don't, and don't just, I I remember I worked for a manager one time and, and at the beginning of this engagement, the manager told me, I want you to give me seven recommendations on this project. I want at least seven recommendations. (laughs) like where the hell does seven come from anyway, right? I mean, it's like, that's just some arbitrary number. But we at least it's a lucky number, right? <laughs> it's, a lucky, it's a lucky number, right? But it's, it's, you know, don't, we shouldn't go into any of the engagements thinking that either, right. having some preconceived notion. We should only be providing recommendations if they're actually useful, if we've thought them out. If you're just hoping or trying to um, you know, if you have a belief that the number of recommendations you give equates to the value you're mm-hmm. providing, you yeah, need to stop thinking that right away. <laughs>
1: well, I, th- I think you said it really well, um, you know, I listened to your latest podcast on, on independence and you had, you had mentioned, uh, how, how critical it is for us to, to add value and you know, to remember that we're not hundred percent independent and that we are, you know, we that work for company X are paid by company X to perform audits okay. on company X. Uh, it's important to feel that pressure that we constantly are valuable, not feel yep. entitled to be the auditor. I remember, um, I forget how many years ago, but you know when Danny Baran was a chairperson mm-hmm. of the IA, his theme of, I, re- I believe was was being relevant or something to the effect of being relevant. Yeah. And when that came out, uh, I thought to myself, being relevant—that's not so sexy, right? So it's. But after you think about it for a minute, it's so critical, so fundamental. If you're not relevant, then why would you continue to be in that position? So uh, if we continuously ask ourselves, are we adding value? Is this, is this pushing your company, your organization forward? That uh, Hopefully we'll, we'll avoid you know, those scenarios of having a fixed number of findings or, yeah. or being uncertain about what you're delivering.
0: Well, and I think it's you know, that idea of relevance is really important. And it's relevance to whom? relevance to the company, relevance to the client that we're working with. That's why you know the, the idea of agile and having the user at the center is important because if we're not being relevant to them, then at some point, and, and I've seen this happen over and over again, at some point, the CFO is gonna get tasked with cutting costs. Mm-hmm. And they're gonna turn around and they're gonna go, you know that internal audit department isn't really that relevant to us. And if they feel that way, if they don't feel like you're relevant, I don't care if you feel like you're relevant. No, damn it! You know, we've (laughs) got to have an internal audit department because every great company has an internal audit department and we're a, we're a key component to governance. Well, we believe that we preach that as a profession, but it's what the other people believe that's really important. And if they don't think you're relevant, you're going to be one of the first places to get cut.
1: That's, that's a valid point. I, I, what I've told some folks that I've talked to that were interested in getting an internal audit or were already in it for a little bit, uh, was I wish I was told early on that uh, when you're an internal auditor, 80% of the time you put on the analytical hat and 20% you put on the sales hat. Mm-hmm. You may say, well, sales hat. You're an auditor, you're not supposed to be selling anything. Well, you, you kind of are, you're selling confidence, you're selling ideas, you're selling wisdom. You know, If I wanna share something you know, I work for a financial institution. We care a lot about emerging trends, emerging risks. You mentioned at one point AI, a very hot topic, very fancy buzzword. We care about those fancy buzzwords. We wanna be ready as much as possible. So we can be a source of wisdom to share with our folks. So we have to sell confidence, sell uh, 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 the, the, the uh, perception that what we say makes sense, that what we say is data driven, that what we say is informed, so it has to be part of the equation i don't know if it's 80 20 or 60 40 the selling has to be part of the equation
0: well and it's probably because this is maybe a good distinguisher um because actually i don't know that i've talked to anybody in this way before so i want to i just want to kind of dig into this just a little bit more um is that i think the further up you go in the internal audit organization the more that maybe changes too right so so yeah at the lower level maybe it's something like 80 20 right and this will give people a little peel behind as as far as what a cae actually does right in your role are you still at 80 20 or i'm guessing that the sales number is much higher for you right if it was like it was for me right so the further up we go in the organization the more we have to manage those relationships we have to sell ourselves sell our sell the function sell the value that we're doing right. and a, a lot of your job ends up doing that i don't know you know if you were to put numbers on it where <laughs> would you put it is it 50 50 60 no, 40 uh, 80 you know 80 20 the other way
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, in my case it's probably closer to 60 40 or 70 30 um but the, you know the important part are that sales bit, i know selling that word can be really dirty very 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 unfriendly um but you just replace it with being having good or having good relationships i mean that that's the that's the issue you want to have good relationships with people so we can all collectively attr- address the issue i have to maintain my objectivity that is 100 you know Mm non-negotiable i get that Uh, um, but that doesn't mean i can't have good relationships with people that can't mean doesn't mean i cannot be open with folks and vice versa And, and the way to test whether you have a good relationship in my opinion is if you are told by the audit department manager hey can you add this thing or this this two or three things to your audit program I need independent brains to double check this. Or maybe this is the political issue. I'm not getting support. Julio, hook me up. You know, when you, when you have that, or maybe you phrase it, I know an auditor shouldn't be told this, but uh, that's when you know I think you're making progress. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, I, mean, I, know, I normally wouldn't tell the auditor, but <laughs> I like you. I know you're a cool guy, right? But at and... the end
1: of the day, it's just about recognizing we're part of the same organization. Yeah. Let's just keep that in mind whenever we do everything we do.
0: Well, and I, and I think I agree with you totally on that. You know, that, that a lot of times people talk about, I want to be a trusted advisor. I want to be a trusted advisor. Well, you can tell if you already are, or if you're not. And like you said, if, if the auto clients, you know, coming to you at the beginning, or I remember a call that I got from, uh, my last company where I was CAE, It, it was one of our controllers of one of our factories. And he called me and he said, now I know you guys haven't been out here for, for a couple of years, right? And so I know I'm probably gonna be up on the schedule soon. I'm just guessing, right? <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know, maybe. I mean, it, it was one of our better controlled factories, yeah. so we weren't as concerned about them as we were some other ones. But he calls me anyway, he kind of says that, and he says, because I'm thinking about or I wanna kind of change some of our processes out here, but I'd rather talk to you Ah. and kind of work through what I'm thinking and the changes with you before I make them to make sure that we're doing it right.
1: That's your test
0: right there. That's your test. When people call you, when they ask you those kinds of things, then it's like, oh, I must be providing some value, (laughs) right? They must trust me. If somebody walks in and like you said, they're like, I normally wouldn't tell the auditor this, but, and they tell you, you've established some Absolutely. relationship, yeah. some trust with them, that they're actually asking for your advice. See, trusted advisor, they trust you and they want your advice. If people are not asking you for advice, you're not a trusted advisor.
1: That's a, that's an opportunity for improvement. That's yep. the way I see that one. And yep. I, I suspect part of this equation is recognizing that in our jobs, we can contribute to anxiety. I think of my time as an internal auditor, as kind of a part-time honorary psychology degree that I'm working <laughs> <with>. <laughs>
0: Is that why I've been studying psychology
1: for 20 years? Yeah. yeah. Honestly though, I mean, the truth is the truth is the people that aren't familiar with what this job is about are going to feel anxious about mm-hmm. the audits, right? So we have to do everything we can within reason to minimize the potential anxiety, which means in the very beginning of an engagement, being open about the objectives, about the audit plan, being open about what are your concerns, having a very friendly discussion. Uh, So if we minimize that anxiety, that's good, that's, I would think that's a required condition to get us closer to the trusted advisor condition. We have to not have anxiety between the client and who we are.
0: Well and yeah, because if they're feeling anxiety, it's going to be difficult to get the work done too. And so there is. and, And that's where, you know, again, we use the word psychology here. But you know, again, folks, when I talk about technical and soft skills, right, right. you know, a lot of time a lot of some of those skills in the soft area are some of the psychology. It's not just how you write your report. It's not just how you give your PowerPoint presentation to management. It's a lot of this other stuff. There's a lot of stuff to the soft skills, and we are not spending enough time focusing on those, and that's leading to some some of the some of the trouble. 'Cause you've got to reduce that anxiety and, and build those relationships, there's soft skill ways of doing that. And we need to spend more time doing that.
1: And that's been an issue as far as I recall since two thousand seven. You know, soft mm-hmm. skills being in the top of skills and we need folks in insurance to really make their competency. So hopefully uh we can move the needle a little I
0: hope bit. we're listening. You know, again, <laughs> the older I get, 2007 doesn't seem that long ago to me, but that was 13 <laughs> years, right? Yeah, <laughs> Many of fun, the people huh? <laughs> listening to this were still, could have been in grade school, you know, at that point still. Um, but, yeah, we've been talking about it, but we, we need to get off our butts and actually do something more about it instead of just just talking about it. So, no, this has been, again, like normal. We just. Just kind of blow through time so we're gonna to have to kind of wrap up here for today but we'll probably have to go deeper on a future episode but um I, I wanted to kind of ask you too that i always like to ask caes you know is if if you were i mean because you got people on your team and other people that if if you're kind of mentoring them or trying to help them you know if if there's that old rod stewart song you know i wish that i knew you know now what i knew than, you know, I, kind of a thing. I, I said that wrong. But anyway, <laughs> I can't sing the song right now because my brain's going somewhere else. But, um, you know, so much of the time, the older we get, we wished we had learned certain things earlier in our career. Mm-hmm. So maybe, you know, what's maybe one suggestion that you give to people that are kind of moving up in their career and, you know, maybe someday aspire to be a CAE? What What do you wish you would have known or learned maybe earlier in your career? um that you'd kind of impart as wisdom to other people boy
1: that is a great question so i i would say two things uh the the first one would be is if you you had to choose between learning to be a great leader when before you need to become a great leader versus learning it when you're in the middle of fires all over the place prep early right so we all in, in our in our business degrees may have a leadership class you take the class you'll get a good grade that may 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 go out in one year or the other but if you're planning on becoming a good a, a, putting yourself in a leadership role someday take your time to study the books pick your pick your your, your leader lots of books out there do your homework prepare in advance for that just like you would prepare for the cpa exam or the cia exam uh, i thought that was so critical so building leadership skills early on makes a lot of sense. I think a big challenge folks that are in, in the CA level has to be what maybe the bombarding of all these emerging concepts and issues that are coming at us. So if you're brand new to internal audit and you're envisioning someday getting to management, why not take some of that time and build some foundations in technology? Because the world is becoming more interconnected. That's completely undeniable. There's, uh, you we're going to have a, a gazillion IoT devices in people's homes. Everyone's going to have Amazon Echo. You know, we'll have autonomous cars on the road. You know, things are changing. So, the earlier you can expose yourself to the technology fundamentals, to security fundamentals, as you progress in your career, you're going to have opportunities to build on that as opposed to wait until you absolutely need it. So, preparing for to have a technology competency and building on some leadership skills early on. So, when, when you can, when the opportunity strikes, you can be ready to, you know, pull the trigger and go it.
0: No, that's great wisdom. Because again, you know, it's, um, if, if, if we want to be to the next level, right, you have to act like you're already at the next level, right? That's, that's going to help Very get cool. you there. So like you said, you know, the, the better we can be at being a leader earlier on, the more likely it's going to be that we actually will be that leader someday. And, and I think it's good too what you, what you're saying here about technology. Cause I've seen this. I mean, I've helped, you know, hundreds, thousands of people try to pass the CIA exam. And one of the big topics that a lot of people really struggle with is it, That's you know, and, and, and in the past, you know, especially the CIA exam because of how it kind of started and, you know, trying to make CIA similar to CPA from a professional standpoint, there was a whole bunch of finance and accounting stuff on there. There still is. Right. But in, in my opinion, you know, that stuff doesn't matter so much now as the IT stuff does. And yeah. if, if you yeah. don't have a basic understanding of IT, you know, kind of, you know, general controls level, all of that kind of stuff, how the applications, you know, and the hardware interacts with each other and some of the technical controls that might be in there. If you don't, if you can't stand back and really kind of understand in general how the technology is working, mm-hmm it's gonna be really difficult to almost audit anything in the future because everything has an IT component to it.
1: That's a valid point. I would love to see folks getting a finance and accounting degrees, also doing a, a minor in MIS. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they just have a regular degree, getting a, a Coursera specialization in some somewhere in technology security, Cisco, whatever. There are lots of ways to supplement your business background. So the earlier we can make that part of who we are, uh, for sure they better off we'll be, no doubt.
0: Oh yeah. Well, and because it, it, it really <laughs> there's there's sometimes if if we don't have some of that basic background, right? Like I was, you know, I was talking with somebody and there was a client that they're dealing with that they had some reporting issues. And and it got missed by audit. Okay. And and understandable. Uh, when when you kind of you know step back, because armchair quarterbacking is always like, well, you should have known. Well, no, I I understand why they probably didn't catch it, but if if some of those people on that team maybe had a better understanding of it, they would have realized that this this link, there there, all these transactions over here were never making it to the report. And why was that? It was it was a system issue. It was a it was a PMO issue with with a system upgrade, and a very large percentage of transactions that never got pulled over, ah. that somebody missed. Right. So, IT projects should have caught it. Uh, internal audit should have caught it. Right. But again, it's like it's it's having these people with these different perspectives, having a basic knowledge and understanding of some of these things. Somebody over the course of this 10-year period should have gone, uh, what about these things, right? And so, you know, like you said, I love that you brought that up about technology because I think every auditor needs to have a basic understanding of technology. It it's doesn't mean everybody's got to go get a CISA and, you know, or or like you said, but even some of these other things like a Coursera certification, you know, other, other courses that you can take that teach you a little bit more about it going to benefit you way in the future
1: the resources are everywhere the biggest challenge now isn't uh what's accessible to me it's which what do i pick which resource do i choose over the other
0: yeah yeah good stuff good stuff all right we got to wrap up for today but i want to keep going
1: (laughs) (laughs) all right it was a pleasure
0: well thank you julio for coming on i really appreciate you taking the time and know you've been a loyal listener so i appreciate always getting that feedback too so everybody else is out there listening because again i don't i don't i don't don't get the direct feedback because i don't get to see your face as you're watching or listening to these things so you know please reach out to me linkedin email me whatever just kind of let me know uh if you're enjoying it what you're liking the most so i can do more of that because i'm really here to serve and try to get some of this information out here today and i really appreciate julio coming on because you gave some really good information for people uh, that were listening. So, you've had me. Well, thank you. And everybody go out, have a great week. And uh, we'll catch you on the next Jamming with Jason episode. See ya. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Jamming with Jason. Keep on rocking in the audit world. Have a great rest of your day. And I'll catch you later on the next show. If you'd like to earn continuing professional education for listening to today's episode, head on over to Risk Academy at ondemand.criskacademy.com. And that's C as in the letter C, riskacademy.com. Not only do you get a CPE certificate, but you also will have access to the video version of today's show. The views and opinions expressed on this show are that of the individuals and not of their respective organizations.